Hello my friend, I'm Avi Caparast, host of The Decisive Life and founder of Ethics for Work and Life. And I'm honored to be your decision coach today to help you become a better person by making better decisions every day. I believe that we arrive at crossroads, we face dilemmas, we get the decision moments for a reason, and it is up to us to face them with serenity and courage and most of all, gratitude. How difficult is it to study a medical degree in Poland? What would be your biggest challenges? Would language be your biggest hurdle? Let's hear it from the experience of Dr. Jennifer Castaneda. She studied medicine there, passed the medical board exam, and is a practicing doctor and a professor in Warsaw, Poland. Hi, Jen. How are you? Thank you for coming. Hi, Avik. Thanks for inviting me over. Yes. It's been worth the wait. So, Jen, my first question for you is, how long have you been in Poland? Well, I came to Poland in 1995, so that makes it uh, 27 years. 27, 27 right? 27 years. Well, I started uh, medicine in uh, UP Manila with the Intermed program. And I guess I was a bit of an idealist. I didn't like the way some doctors treated the patients in, in the hospital I was in. So I said, oh, I think I'll stop medicine. I started Master's of Science in Genetics in UP. But then I was given a proposal if I wanted to help out in the establishment of a center of formation for women in Krakow. And so, well, I decided to start this adventure of coming over to Poland. So in the end, when I was asked what kind of studies I would push through, I didn't have any other idea, option. So, so I said medicine. So I went through an um, intense Polish program to enter medical studies in Krakow. So I started medicine there. I finished it. And then I did my PhD in another city. It's called Szczecin in Poland. And then afterwards, I actually went back to genetics because I did my specialization in clinical genetics in here in Warsaw, in the Institute of Mother and Child, which is a public uh, a pediatric hospital and OB-GYN hospital. And that's where I'm working right now as a clinical geneticist in our genetic counseling unit. So what is the beauty of Poland for you? Looking back okay. in these 27 years, what is the beauty of Poland for you as a professional and as a person? Okay, well, I would say um, I'd probably um, direct these uh, words to people who uh, would have to go to another place to study or to work. I think what gave me a lot of positive input in this place in Poland is that it is a place that's culturally uh, very close to my own. Um, I like the way that w between the Philippines and Poland, even if you know the climate is totally different, if I could just show you, and perhaps I will be able to show you the snow that's now falling, <laughs> uh, I see, uh, through the window. So the climate is very different, but uh, cultural-wise, uh, probably because of a very similar history of um, religion that their uh, Catholicism is as in the Philippines uh, also it's um, it's the religion of the majority here so cultural wise not only religion but then the strong family ties uh, strong interpersonal relationships um, so I think uh, this is very very valuable here in uh, in Poland 
and I think it was uh, it's it's like a, a treasure that uh, that I myself was uh, um, was uh, benefiting from. What would be your biggest hurdle, especially in the beginnings? You're asking about this uh, a big hurdle when you transfer to a different country and you know that you're going to stay there for a lot of years. Aside from the challenges of the language, I think it's the confrontation with uh, sometimes different mentalities. It could be in contrast to what you were used to before. And I think how at least I managed with that is that I was always trying to be at least very open to the differences, but not putting so much attention into the differences. I think what helps is to look for the aspects which unite us, like the universal values that we share with people of different cultures, and not to put so much uh, attention into the differences. To be open to the values which you know you could even learn from them. But I also think it's very important to keep your own culture, your own traditions in their place, not to compare. I just learned later on not to say, oh, we did it in a different way in my country. Adapt yourself to how the people live in this place. Because in the same way that you're learning from others, actually you are enriching them with uh, your own traditions, your own customs, and, and your own ways of thinking. Did you have classmates from other non-European countries? Well, in Poland, actually, because of the history of communism, there were a lot of uh, people from post-communist countries. In my case, well, I was the only Filipino in, in my batch. And Asian, I think I was the only one. I had friends from Ukraine, Latvia, mostly neighboring countries. There are some medical programs in English here, so it's a paid English program. I was lucky enough to get into the Polish program. Well, the challenge is that everything was in Polish, but then there's still free education here, free university education. So that was, of course, of utmost benefit that I didn't have to pay for my medical studies. And actually medicine here in Poland is in quite a good level. A lot of very good professionals Perhaps it doesn't have the modern innovations, technological innovations, not all of them, like in the United States or probably in the UK, but there are a lot of uh, spirit of entrepreneurship. And so I would say even in genetics, that uh, some diagnostic methods in genetics, uh, which are now uh, very much in use in other Western countries, are beginning to be used in Poland. Can you describe to us your experience about the language? Uh, what I was thinking about learning a language is totally different from your own because I remember when I was already planning to go to Poland and I, uh, someone gave me a text from a new Polish newspaper and I couldn't even pronounce the words because there are so many consonants <laughs> in the word. In the, you know, there are a lot of S, Z, C, Z together in the, in the Polish language uh, and Y is like a vowel. If you think of it as a consonant, you couldn't read the words. But anyway, uh, what I was thinking in general, I think what helped me was not to be such a perfectionist because I know of some people who were like, they would only speak the language if they knew that they had it in a perfect state. I mean, that they wouldn't commit errors. 
And I think that's a very erroneous way of trying to learn a language in a country where you know that you will live for, for many more years. So I think what helped me was actually I was advised to do that just, you know, just to go ahead, just just speak with people. And even if you know that you'll make some errors, I had a lot of friends who were very, very patient with me that uh, when there was a there was a word in, in, in the lecture in biochemistry that I didn't understand, I always had my friend beside me was always explaining to me. So not to get frustrated that you don't grammatically speak uh, so well in the beginning. The other thing is that learning a language takes a lot of energy from the neurons. What also helped me is that to take some breaks, I mean, to sometimes read something in English or talk to someone in English so that then uh, the neurons don't get so exhausted. Someone was saying that you already know you're speaking fluently or at least this language is a bit more in your nature when you start dreaming <laughs> in this language or when you start counting in this language spontaneously. And I think that's just really what happened. It's good that you talked about not being a perfectionist. What is the difference between striving for perfection and perfectionism? That's a very difficult question <laughs> you posed to me. But uh, when I think about it, and I thought about it a lot uh, recently, also because I forgot to tell you that, but I was very much interested in bioethics. And so apart from clinical genetics, I actually did some training in bioethics and now I'm in a master program in global bioethics because I do organize some bioethics seminars for students. And so talking a lot with young people, then you see that there's a tendency uh, towards perfectionism in the way uh, even the educational process is being led like in the universities or even in schools. So the difference between uh, striving for perfection and perfectionism, when I think about it, well, I wouldn't say I'm, a, I'm an expert on the field, but I think striving for perfection includes in the process some stages of failures. A person who's not a perfectionist would take advantage of these little or big failures to move towards the aim without getting frustrated. The idea here is to treat these failures as a challenge to actually change something in the process or to grow in some other, I don't know, in virtues, in, in some values, but keeping the aim in mind. So a perfectionist, I think what happens, that's why there's uh, some kind of frustration, is that they don't know how to manage uh, these stages of failures or imperfections, which have to be accepted as, I think, part of the process towards achieving an aim. One good thing is that to know how to ask for help, actually, to admit that we can't perfectly go towards uh, an objective just to be ourselves. And so to know how to ask for help, and to appreciate the help that you are being given and the support that comes from the environment, friends, family. Could you give us a little explanation for dummies of what is genetics and what is bioethics? I'm so lucky. I actually, I consider myself a very lucky person that I'm into these fields, which are, I would say they're very specific in the sense that not everyone likes genetics, for instance, clinical genetics as a field of uh, medicine, you 
deal with very rare diseases, genetic diseases. So there's a lot of uh, going to the molecules here. Uh, I mean, the genetic uh, basis of diseases, which now actually uh, includes very various, uh, you know, other fields of specialization because there's genetics in pediatrics, in neonatology, uh, in gynecology, in OB-GYN. There's genetics in dermatology and oncology and all that. And the thing is that really when you diagnose genetic diseases, it's not the type that you can say, okay, I have diagnosed this disease and uh, I can cure you. Uh, in the case of genetics, they are usually rare, incurable diseases, but it's a different kind of support that geneticists uh, give to uh, families uh, in which uh, genetic diseases are diagnosed. Um, I would say it's more support, uh, like giving more, much more information on this rare disease, which is very difficult to know so much about it because other uh, other doctors would uh, would know less probably because they're very rare. Uh, the kind of psychological support or to give them more information on what could be the surveillance in the case of a child uh, with um, a genetic disease. So it's difficult to cure, uh, quite impossible in most genetic diseases, but you can care for someone in a different way. And bioethics is actually a field which is, of course, not only uh, tied to genetics, but to all different fields of um, biological uh, sciences. And bioethics is keeping the person, the good of the person in mind. Bioethics is um, a part of philosophy. And I think when one is um, involved in such a very molecular field like genetics, bioethics gives the professional a wider perspective because it makes you go, from the molecules to the person, the person himself. Bioethics deals with the ethical aspects of biological sciences. And I would say that in genetics, there's a lot of it. How you use the genetic technology, how you diagnose, for instance, fetuses during the prenatal uh, period. So there's a lot of, a lot of different uh, areas. Actually, when you said from molecules to person, I totally understand it now. <laughs> <laughs> Very simple for dummies, really. <laughs> so there are only four more minutes, and Dr. Jen has to go to another appointment. So my last question would be, if there are some professionals who are moving to another country for professional development, for graduate studies, like what you have experienced, what would be your top three advices for them? First, to keep the aim in mind, why we're going to another place, then I think to keep this objective in mind helps us to go through the process of the hurdles and the difficulties in order to reach the aim. At the same time, is to accept that there will be some difficulties, to accept that that's part of the process, and to admit it to people and to take advantage and be thankful for the support that other people can give. So that's one. The second is to be very open to uh, the differences in culture, customs, traditions, uh, to try to see what is very positive in these differences that we see. And the third is probably to take care of oneself, you know, um, a very hygienic way of life. That means to know how to rest, to know how to take care of uh, friendships, of interpersonal relationships, to be in touch with one's family. So I think that's what I would say. Okay, my friend, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Decisive Life. If you liked it, 
take a screenshot of this podcast, share it, and the link to this episode to three of your friends today. Post it in social media and use the hashtag, The Decisive Life. Until the next episode, my friend, be good. Be good.